Well, welcome to this episode of Rethinking Church. My name is Tim Fox. I'm the the founding pastor of Hydrant Church in Goldsboro, North Carolina, and, and the, the author of the new book, Rethinking Church, Leading the Struggling Church Through Death to New Life. It's available on Amazon and the Wesleyan Publishing House store, or you can find it on my website, timfox.online. We'd love for you to pick up a copy of that book, maybe read it with your board, your team. But we're, we're taking some time in our podcast to walk through each chapter. And so this week, we're going to walk through chapter three, rethinking the way forward. Often we, we get stuck in churches and we, we feel trapped and we're, we're, we're almost like just treading water. We're, we're stuck in one place, but it, it's taken a lot of work to get to stay even just afloat. And we, we need to get moving. We need to get moving forward. And in this chapter, we talk about some of the keys to finding our way forward, to rethinking the way forward. Sometimes we, we have this idea that we can just push things and we can make things happen and, and it's going to just go easily. And it rarely goes easily. We can if we go on our instincts, a lot of times we'll, we'll make the wrong decision. If we, if we get too unfocused, we end up kind of treading water. I mean, it still takes a lot of work and there's a lot of activity. We're just not going anywhere. This was, this was how the church was operating as Goldsboro Wesleyan Church in 2012. After about a year into our attempts at revitalization, we found ourselves struggling. We were spinning our wheels. We were starting to make changes, but we weren't seeing the fruit, which by the way is completely normal, but most people tend to freak out. Like you're going to start making changes, but it's going to take another year or two for the fruit of those changes to grow to a point of harvest. So don't get too worried if it doesn't show up right away. If people don't respond right away, if new people aren't coming through the doors right away, you got to stay the course. Well, we didn't stay the course. We decided that the best thing we could do would be to have two services for the summer. I don't know what got into our minds or why we thought this was a good idea. It can be a really wonderful beautiful thing when a church is vibrant and growing and has momentum and adds another service. It can be a really terrible thing when we decide to add a service because we just can't stand the way each other worships. And, and that's kind of what happened is we ended up saying we're going to try a traditional and a more modern service and we're just going to kind of see what fits over the summer, see which one works. And, and by the end of the summer, we're going to know our direction. We're going to know what really we're supposed to do. I thought it was bad. I thought it was bad preaching to about 40 people in a room that seats 100. But then I started preaching to 20 people in a room that seats 100 twice every Sunday. Within a month, six weeks, I was, I was at a low point. I was so frustrated. I didn't know what to do or where to go. I, I really, I think if we hadn't just bought a house, I probably would have just pulled up stakes and, and left. 
But we were committed or stuck or, or for whatever reason, God had us here and we weren't leaving, which meant we had to find a solution. Almost out of desperation, I took three or four people with me to a, to a brand new conference that was happening at New Hope Church in Durham. It was called Insight. And it, and it was rejuvenating for me personally, just to, to be in a, a place of, of joy and momentum and worship that didn't take any work for me. But then, then there came this moment in the weekend. Kyle Ray was teaching and he was, he was talking about he was talking about Elijah on the mountain. And Elijah speaks to God's people and he tells them, today you have to decide whether you are for God or you are for Baal. Today you have to decide who you're going to be. And in that moment, I felt as if God had asked me that question. He was asking our church that question, who are you going to be? You can't be everything. You can't do everything. You can't hold it all together. Who are you going to be? And I was challenged and inspired and hopeful. And I came back the next day and I, and I preached this message, this call to what God would envision a church to be in Goldsboro. And I said, tomorrow night we're having a board meeting and anybody who wants to come can come and we'll talk about the direction of our church and what God is asking us to do and what it might be for us to figure out who we are. It was a, it was a big meeting. <laughs> Not big as in there were lots of people. In fact, very few people showed up other than the board members. And we, and we had this conversation and I, and I kind of said to them, not knowing at all what they would really decide, listen, we've got to figure this out. If Goldsboro Wesleyan Church wants to keep doing what it's been doing for the last 10 years, if it wants to keep doing the same things and keep going down the same path, then you probably are going to need to find another pastor. But that is your choice. So, but if you are wanting to try something new, if you want to maybe consider laying down our life for the sake of our community, if you want to imagine a new way forward, I would love to help you do that. And the choice really is yours. You have to decide who you want to be as a church. There was a man named Al. Al had a lot of influence in the church at the time and when Al spoke, everyone kind of listened, and, and he spoke this time before anybody else had a chance. And he said, it's time. I move, I move that we do something new. I move, I move that we say goodbye to Goldsboro Wesleyan Church and relaunch as a new church. It was, it was so quiet after he was done speaking, deafening quiet and then slowly people began to talk and asked a few questions and said I don't really know exactly what it will look like but we can begin to dream and begin to plan and keep talking and figure this out and so that day that night they voted unanimously we voted unanimously 
to lay Goldsboro Wesleyan Church to rest, to celebrate its season of influence and ministry, but to relaunch as a brand new church called Hydrant Church. I went home that night and I couldn't sleep. I began to write and, and, and take notes and begin to think. And those notes took, took shape in paragraphs that were kind of, well, they were my convictions, the reasons behind what we were going to do. And I just want to read to you some of those notes. I wrote, we believe that God is, is calling us to restart as a sign and a symbol of his loving sacrifice for the sake of the hurting, the broken, and the disconnected. We believe that Jesus' name is more important than any of our names or the name of our church. We believe that if we want to reach people that the church is not reaching, then we have to do something that the church is not doing. We believe that God's kingdom should bring people together and the church should be a haven for the hurting, the skeptics, the doubters, the marginalized, and the ignored. We believe God is asking us to sacrifice some things we have loved for what we would love even more. We believe God placed potential in us as a gift and our gift back to him is the work we do with that potential. So we believe creativity and innovation are signs of his image in us. We believe the church is designed to be the body of Christ, a family, a community of mission-minded followers of Jesus. We must balance its ministry to disciples of Jesus with those who don't know him yet. The church should be a place and a people that fill our lives with grace. We believe that grace looks like love and acceptance, patience, and truth. We believe that giving each other grace also means staying out of the Holy Spirit's way by refusing to be the fixers. Grace means giving people time and space to be healed by the Spirit. We believe that the church has to meet people where they are. That means physically going to new places. That means meeting people at the location of their emotional needs without judgment or pretense. That means connecting with people at the point of problems and possibility. It means pointing people to Jesus for the sake of their soul, body, mind, and strength. We believe that if the church reaches men, we can reach the whole family. And we believe it's better to do a few things well than to do many things with mediocrity. We believe that we are the church. We think that we have a window in time, an opportunity that we're either going to seize or let pass us. We believe that we have all the resources that we need to do all that God is asking us to do. We believe this restart will work and that we will be able to reach into the next generation in a way that's impossible otherwise. We know that we're called to serve our neighbors, the community, our workplaces, and our world. We believe that when the church is being the church, Jesus calls it to be that the community is better. We believe that no one is beyond hope and that no church is beyond hope. We believe that our mission is to make disciples. We believe that discipleship should look more like teaching someone to use a fork than teaching them the history of the fork. Disciple-making should look more like a garden than a factory. And together, the church could operate more like a sailboat than a speedboat. In particular, a sailboat without a rudder. <laughs> we believe that God loves each person. Therefore, we look to love each person that we can.
We believe that this community of believers is a hospital where the sin sick, the heart broken, and the one whose life is falling apart can be made whole. We believe that Christ wants to bring healing to every aspect of our lives, not just to a compartmentalized spiritual soul. <laughs> These became the, the convictions underneath, the reason, the drive, that thing that told us what we had to do. It's the thing that kept us going when, when the results weren't showing up. Because we restarted, and as much as we were convinced at the very beginning that it would work, a year in, I wasn't sure. 18 months, I was still questioning. It took a good two years before we started to see the fruit of all of the work of the previous years. It happened slowly, but we held on to convictions that pointed the way, that kept us grounded, that reminded us who we were becoming, what we had to be about. As we held on to these convictions, values began to develop within us. Now, sometimes we can begin to name values and then we can aspire toward those values and chase after those values. But every group of people that gathers together on a regular basis for shared work is going to develop a sense of value, a sense of purpose, and understand what's important to them together. And so there was this kind of process of naming the things that we wanted to value, that we believed we valued, but also kind of recognizing the values and the heart of this group of people that God was bringing together as Hydrant Church. It begins, and, and we've been able to name some of those values that then shape us, and it becomes this cyclical process in which the values shape us. They tell us and remind us who we are, and we're able to lean into those values to remind us who we are. And so we become them, and they become us in this ongoing process. The first of those values is Jesus' leadership. This church belongs to Jesus. There were people who left during the difficult seasons, and they would say, it just doesn't feel like my church anymore. The truth is, it was never their church. It was never their church. It was never my church. It was always the church of Jesus Christ. He's in charge. He gets to make the final call. He gets to go first, and he gets to show us where to go. We lean on and trust and follow his leadership. We value people. We value each person this is not a place where, where you are simply a cog in the machine. You are another number, another person to fill a seat or fill a role. We want to know who you are. We want to know your story and your journey and come together and learn from you as you learn from us. This is a collective process. We value who you are. We value the gifts in you, the creativity in you. We value who you are becoming and who you want to be. We value authenticity. Now, authenticity has become a, a buzzword over the last couple of decades, but when we talk about authenticity, we really see it as a beginning point. We value authenticity for what it, what it creates. You see, authenticity creates the possibility 
of transformation. And our goal is to be transformed into the image of Christ. And so we value authenticity because as long as I'm pretending, as long as I'm faking, as long as there's a facade up, as long as I can't really acknowledge who I am and where I am, I have no ability to follow Jesus into who I was meant to be, who I was created to become. I have no real ability to connect with him or anyone else because I can't deal in reality. So we value authenticity because it's truth, because it's real, and because it opens the door for transformation. We believe, we value the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit's the only one who can do the fixing. It's our good southern way of describing this value. He is the only one. I can't fix myself. I'm certainly not going to try to fix anyone else. Because what happens is I have a tendency to get in the way of what the Spirit wants to do. The Spirit may be working within someone and speaking to them and inviting them to do what He's asking them to do. But I see this very obvious thing that I think they should fix first. And so I begin to speak to them about that. And I remove the conviction of the Spirit with my own conviction. And I begin doing a job that was never mine to do in the first place. So my job is to speak truth and offer grace and keep asking the question, what is God asking you to do? We value hope because hope is greater than fear. Too often, churches make decisions based on fear. You might have heard around the, the table of leaders, oh, I'm just afraid that if. And we say things like that without even realizing it. And we're making decisions based on fear, not on hope, not on conviction, not on a belief in what God has called us to do and a hope in our ability to do what he's asked us to do. So we believe that hope, we value hope, because hope leads us forward in a much better way than fear ever could. We value excellence. We value excellence. Listen, it's not because we're trying to be perfect or have to get all the details right or only people who are the very best could ever stand on stage. We value excellence as giving our very best, whatever that looks like in this moment, to whatever we're doing. And we, we really kind of push this even further, and we recognize that, that excellence is the expression of love. See, love is in the details, and paying attention to the details leads to excellence. And so as we pay attention to the details, we are loving people. As we care for the lawn, and as we care for the property, and we pay attention to the temperature and the way things printed out and the care of kids and, and what happens on our stages. We are loving the people and valuing the time that they are sharing with us. If you're not sure what you ought to be doing in a step toward excellence, then ask yourself this question. If we were charging people to attend our services, how would we do them differently? And let that guide you in your thinking about how you could bring your very best as an offering to God and the people that you are serving in your service. And we value connecting people to Jesus because he's the only hope. We live to connect people to Jesus, the people who feel disconnected, the people who have run away from their connection, those who are unchurched, de-churched, those who are feel far away from God. The truth is, He is never far from us. 
He has never disconnected from us. It's just our inability to see and feel and connect to him. We are doing everything we can, intentionally or unintentionally, to break that connection. As we kind of understood our convictions and our values, our vision became clear. We could see who we were meant to be. We could see what to do next because we understood the big picture. We could identify the small pieces. Vision is just a simple, clear picture of what God is challenging us to become. This picture of what we have to do, this this picture of what's next and where we're going. There was a time when I was just beginning to explore the idea of of hydrant as a name for a church. It seems kind of absurd, and I probably should have recognized that reality early on because I did a web search for hydrant church. And in and in the summer of 2013, if you did a web search, a Google search for hydrant church, nothing came up. There were no hydrant churches anywhere. And I thought to myself, I have an original idea for once. Should have realized there was a reason no one used that name. But it worked for us because we saw a hydrant. It was a picture of who we were meant to be, and it has so many layers. You need a a hydrant in every neighborhood. You need a hydrant as this symbol of security, a symbol of hope, as this sense of safety. You need a hydrant for the flow of living water that saves homes and families from the flames. You need a hydrant to connect and fill and overflow. It is this picture that we can hold together of what we are becoming and what we are doing together. Churches churches have all kinds of vision problems. I'm 41 years old, and I'm having a new vision problem in the last year. I'm having a problem with my eyes adjusting when I'm looking down reading something, and then I look up. Or I'm looking up, reading something, and I look down. My eyes take a minute to adjust. This wasn't a problem for me a couple of years ago, but it's a problem now. Churches churches have all kinds of vision problems. Usually, they kind of fit into a couple different categories. One is they have vision but no action. They have this great idea, this great statement on the wall, but it doesn't guide their day-to-day activity. It doesn't guide their choices in how to spend money. It doesn't guide their hiring decisions. It doesn't guide anything. And so it's just this kind of pie-in-the-sky dream that doesn't help them at all. And then there are those who have lots of activity, but it's not focused in a direction of a vision. And so there is lots of action, and they're very busy, and it seems really nice, but it's like a Uh, an apple tree that never grows any apples. It's kind of useless. I mean, it's very busy, and it seems like it's doing the right thing, but it's never really producing fruit. Churches, the vision problem, they just, they have no idea why they are in their community at this point in history. It's, It's as if they're treading water. You can work just as hard at treading water and maybe harder than it takes to swim 
a mile. But you don't get anywhere. It's all of that work. And you're still in the exact same place you were 10, 15, 20 minutes ago when you started treading water. Too many of our churches have been, they've been treading water not for 10 or 15 minutes, but 10 or 15 years. We just don't know our calling. We don't know our vision. Proverbs 20:19 tells us that our churches will perish without vision. And it's exactly what's happening. We need to rediscover either together or as the leader what God is calling us to be, what He is calling us to do, what He is setting out in front of us. But to do this, to follow vision, if you're going to communicate vision, there are a couple of things you need to remember. The first is it's just as important to help people become dissatisfied with where they are so that they'll be compelled to go where God is calling us. See, we can, a lot of times, we talk beautifully about where we want to go, but we don't, we don't describe where we are now in a way that creates any kind of dissatisfaction or frustration. It's kind of like when, when Moses led the people of God out of Egypt. They imagined the promised land, but they didn't, he didn't think he would have to create dissatisfaction with Egypt who had made them slaves but as soon as they got out into the desert as soon as it got a little hard they wanted to go back and it's the same thing that can happen in our church we can cast vision it can be a beautiful picture of where we're going but if we don't create dissatisfaction with where we are we're never going to get there so once we have begun to cast vision the way that we're going to make it stick is to first Connect it to the vision people have for themselves. Connect it to the things that people already care about. Ask yourself, how do our people see themselves? What do they care about? Why do they love Jesus? Why do our people still come to this church? Why do they care about this church and its future? And once you begin to identify that, you have an end, you have an ability to connect where God wants you to go to the way they see themselves and what God is calling them to be, the things they care about. Because if we don't care about vision, if our people don't care about vision, we're not going to pursue it. It's not going to make any difference. It's not going to guide us. Number three is to create urgency. To communicate, to create, to communicate vision clearly, you're going to have to create an urgency to move. But it, it has to happen slowly. Here's what I mean. There has to be an urgency to where we're going. There has to be an urgency to the need to do this, the sense that this can't wait. This is our time, our point in history, our opportunity. But if you surprise your board, your elders, your leaders, if you surprise your team leaders, if you surprise your staff and volunteers one Sunday with brand new vision for where you're going, nobody is going to be ready to make it happen. It takes time. Dennis McCollum calls it a shockwave approach. It's developing buy-in gradually. So start with two or three people that are the closest to you, maybe staff. And as you share with them or your leaders or your board where you feel like God is calling you to go and what he's, he's asking the church to do, 
See if there's buy-in. See what questions arise. Respond to those and engage. And listen, if you can't convince your board of what you believe God is asking you to do, there is a good chance you're hearing God wrong. You need to trust the collective work together and believe that God is calling you together in this new direction. And once they're on board, you take it a little bit further and you go to team leaders or ministry leaders and then you go to your volunteers and your your key stakeholders in the church and then you cast it to everyone in the church and then you cast it to everyone outside the church. You let it move outward in concentric circles. So we are... So we're casting vision. We're, we're first helping people become discomfortable with where they are so that they can be compelled to go somewhere new. We're connecting the vision to things they care about and how they see themselves. We're creating urgency by developing a shockwave approach to how we communicate it. And then you communicate vision continually. Vision leaks It leaks from leaders, it leaks from the heart of volunteers, it leaks from the heart of your people, but you have to keep filling up that vision bucket. It has all kinds of holes in it. So we communicate the vision of the church in some form every single time we're together. Almost every sermon comes back to one piece of who we are and what we're trying to do. We are called together on this purpose, and it's my job as the leader and your job as the leader in your church to keep the vision out in front of us, to remind us why we do this, to remind us of what's important, and to keep us moving forward. It should be a part of everything you do. It shouldn't just be on the walls, but it should be on the walls. It shouldn't just be on your letterhead, but it should be on your letterhead. It shouldn't just be a part of your staff meetings and your board meetings and your services, but it should be a part of all of those things. At Hydra, there is a moment in time during every physically present service where we communicate the vision of Hydra Church. It is a piece of who we are. Because vision serves the church. It helps us to take our values and our convictions and turn them into actual behaviors. It helps us determine which ideas are good ideas and which ideas are the ones that God has for us. It directs our finances. It inspires generosity and sacrifice. And it constantly narrows our focus. All right, so here are some questions, some questions for maybe you to talk to, talk about in your cohort to begin to reflect, jot down some thoughts on. The first, is the vision of your ministry or your church clear and future-oriented? Is it clear and future-oriented? Number two, when you sit and just have a quiet moment to reflect, What do you see in the future of your church or your ministry? What do you imagine it doing? What does it look like in a year or two years or five years? Have you shared that picture with anyone else? Has it been just rattling around in your own mind? Or have you begun to share that picture with leaders and volunteers and partners or members of the community? Is your budget 
Number four, is your budget designed to accomplish the mission? When you look at your ministry or your church's budget, are you spending money on purpose to accomplish the vision that God has for the church? Number five, when you are thinking about vision and how to start, here are some questions that you can ask yourself. What are we good at? It's an easy one. What are we good at? What do we already do well? What does the community need? What can we do to meet those needs? What people groups has, has God placed a burden on us to reach? And what is God asking us to do? And as you begin to work through these questions, you can begin to discern a vision. I hope this episode of Rethinking Church has been helpful. If it has, would you go online and leave us a review, maybe share it with a friend. We look forward to continuing to walk through the book Rethinking Church with you. Love for you to pick up a copy on Amazon or the Wesleyan Publishing House store page. We look forward to talking to you again soon.